0: You're listening to audio from Christ Covenant Buckhead. If you're interested in learning more, visit ChristCovenantBuckhead.org. Amen. You may take a seat. It's good to be with you today. If I haven't mentioned you, my name is uh, Jason, one of the pastors here. And our scripture reading for today comes from Philippians chapter 1. We're beginning uh, a study of that book. We're going to read most of the whole first chapter that we're going to be skipping just a couple of verses here and there for uh, the sake of time. So Philippians chapter 1, you can actually see the, the scripture here on the screen, but I invite you to follow along. Let's go to the next slide here. I invite you to follow along um, in, your, uh, in your Bibles. Um, next, we'll go to the next slide, but these are the passages we're reading. If you want to just mark those up real quick, uh, and you can follow along uh, again as I read aloud. Of course, these words come to us today under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And therefore, they come to us with the same kind of authority as if Jesus himself uh, were teaching his church and building his church. We, we see all of inspired scripture as the word of Christ. So here with me, uh, the word of our Lord, beginning in verse three of Philippians one, I thank my God, says Paul, in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it unto completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be sure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having been confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The four reclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. But what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, I rejoice. For I know that through your prayer and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, because for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or I am absent that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. This is the word of the Lord. Well, as I said, we're going to be spending the next several weeks, the next five weeks to be exact, studying the book of Philippians. Uh, And just in terms of a little background, Philippians is what has been known as one of the prison epistles. It was a, a group of several letters that Paul wrote to either churchers or in one case, he wrote a letter to a slaveholder while he was in prison in Rome. Philippians is one of those letters that Paul would have written in probably AD 61, 62, 63, somewhere in there from Rome in prison. And of course, he's writing these letters to instruct, to teach, to encourage If you're familiar with the ministry of Paul, God used him to do amazing things. He started churches uh, and was um, was a huge force for the cause of the gospel all across the Roman world at the time, all through the Mediterranean Sea. If you remember this particular church, the church at Philippi, the church that he is writing, it was founded when Paul received a vision. You can read about this in Acts chapter 16. But Paul got a vision, it was what's been called the Macedonian call. A man from Macedonia came to Paul in a vision and said, come to Macedonia, come help us. And so that's exactly what Paul did. He, he crossed over <clears throat> into Macedonia, and his first major stop was this town called Philippi, a town where you could still go. And people started believing the gospel. One was a very successful woman, a very wealthy tradeswoman. Uh, and uh, the next was kind of the opposite end of their spectrum. It was a slave girl that had been uh, been possessed by a demon. And she had an encounter with Paul and her life was radically changed. Uh, the last was through another kind of miraculous event, a jailer, the Philippian jailer, through uh, a, really a supernatural earthquake. And it's interesting, I've actually been to Philippi. There still is evidence of an ancient earthquake in the ancient jail in Philippi. There's literally a crack in the foundation of the jail there. So, this jailer comes to faith in Christ, and from this successful woman, this common guy jailer, this slave woman who'd been possessed by a deacon, a uh, demon, not a deacon, <laughs> this slave woman who'd been possessed by a demon, a, a church is formed there in Philippi, and it's a great church. It's a great church. It's a healthy church. They're a loving church. Paul he calls this church at one point his joy and his crown. And they had supported Paul's ministry. They they had been with Paul and giving Paul financial resources to continue his ministry, as he says, from the very beginning uh, until now. And, And probably the reason he's writing this letter primarily is to thank them. He had just received their support. So this is this book is written about 10 years after, 10 to 12 years after the church was founded. It was founded in the early 50s. This is again 62 or so that Paul is writing these things. And he writes them again to thank them, but he gives them what we're going to talk about today here in, in the first chapter, these two desires that he has. He lays out his desires and He shares with them one other thing that's going to be incredibly helpful for them and for us. And remember, by the power of the Spirit, these words come to us. So let's hear these as desires that God has for our church and a secret, if you will, or something that's helpful for our church. So let's look at these three things together. The first, Paul's desire that this church would know the will of God and that they would obey the will of God. Paul desires they would know the will of God and that they would obey the will of God. Now, God, Paul is confident that God is working in this church, as, as he says kind of famously in verse six, that God who began this good work, I am confident that he's going to bring it into completion in the day of Christ. When Christ appears, the work of Christ will be complete in you. But here's Paul's desire for them. Look at verse nine. I love this. It's a prayer that he has for them, but it shows his desire for them. It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment right i want you to know the mind of god i want you to know the will of god that you may approve what is excellent what is of god and so be pure and blameless for the day of christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Now if this if you've been with us this year, particularly recently, we've been studying Romans chapter 12, where in verse two, Paul says, "Don't be transformed to the course of this world, or don't be conformed to the curse of this world. be transformed by the renewal of your mind so you may know the will of God." It's a very similar theme. He, he wants them to know the will of God, to have the heart and the mind of God, to be pure and blameless as God is. It sounds very familiar. They would know the will of God, and they would obey the will of God. Now, I've actually been thinking a lot about this this week, as, as I as I mentioned, or I think Blake mentioned last week. I was away, and I've I've had this opportunity. Uh, some friends of mine—they're actually members of the church—guy named Brett Pennington, a guy named Andrew Duhan. We have done an adventure trip for ten years. We, we call it our Mancation, and we've gone all over. You know, kind of getting in touch with our manness and. Uh, but it all kind of started, we all worked at this place called the JH Ranch in California, and we were all river guides out there. So 15 years ago, we were working out at the JH Ranch, and uh, we went back there this year. And so we, we kind of relived our old glory days from, you know, when we were 21 years old. And it was a, it was a great thing to do. It's, it's, it was a good thing to do to go to this place. We actually hiked to this, we did the same hike that we did, you know, when we were 21 years old and kind of just went back to the spot and, and had some evaluation time. Which, you know, 15 years, it's been 15 years since then. 15 years is a good kind of evaluation marker. You know, you got three 15-year periods, basically, in what I'll call adulthood, right? You know, you have, you have childhood, which maybe goes over the time you're 20, 21. You have adulthood, you know, 20 to 65. And then you have kind of old age after that. And I know for those of you who are north of 65, I'll let you interpret that as you will. But, you know, but you have kind of three main periods of 15 years in adulthood. And it was good for us as, you know, 36-year-olds to say, okay, 15 years ago, we were facing all this stuff. We were trying to make these big decisions. We were, you know, one of the big kind of grab words then in our lives was, what's God's will for my life? What does God want to do in my life? And I remember at that time, you know, it was such a, it was almost a mystical thing as I looked for it. And, and I think this is a good time for, for some of y'all that are older. I think this is a helpful thing to think about. And God is, we always want to be discovering God's will in our life, but Maybe this will be especially helpful for those of you who, who are a little younger. To think, okay, who am I going to marry? What am I supposed to do in my life? What is God's will for this year? I remember having all of these thoughts. And all of these seems, things seem so kind of mystical for me, as if God was just going to show up and give me this, 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 and this, and this. And so I, I want to give you a couple of things today as we, we think about understanding God's will for your life that I think will be helpful. And, and the first is direction. Think, think about this with me. I heard a guy say one time, don't be so concerned, Jason, about pursuing a specific dream or a specific goal, this grand thing that the Lord is going to do with your life, but rather just be concerned with a good direction. I think that's good advice. Don't be so concerned with the specific thing. Just be concerned with the, the direction, the specific direction Start moving in a direction that pleases the Lord. Seek to obey the Lord. Seek the will of God and get to know God. Get to know his word. Trust him. Follow what he says for you to do. Don't worry so much about the who and the what. Just pursue the Lord. So for example, if you're if you're dating someone, rather than asking yourself, is this person I'm supposed to marry? Is this person I'm supposed to marry all the time? Don't worry about that. Just pursue the Lord in that relationship. Just pursue holiness in that relationship. Just pursue the mission of God in that relationship. And and if you're doing those things, whether you marry them or not, it will be a fruitful relationship. And if you're doing those things, if you're pursuing holiness, if you're pursuing the mission of God with that other person, I think eventually it will become clear whether or not you're supposed to be together with with your career. Same thing. Move in a God-honoring direction. I, I talk to people all the time. And they find themselves in careers and jobs that aren't fulfilling. And, and I ask them, was there any sort of gospel intentionality in this career decision? You know, when you, when you made this career decision, when you chose to go down, go down this career path, that, would, did you make this decision at all with any sort of gospel intentionality, any sort of strategic thought, is this what I am to do to advance the kingdom of Christ? Now, please don't hear me wrong. I am not encouraging you necessarily to get into ministry or some sort of pastoral ministry. That's not what I'm saying. But, but was your decision or is your decision to become a, an attorney or a doctor or a teacher or a businessman, is that, is that being done with any sort of gospel direction, with any sort of gospel intentionality? And I believe that when it is, you know, if the gospel is really going to go forward in this city, you've heard me say this before, it's not going to go forward through more pastors. We don't need more pastors. We need more people with gospel intentionality out in the workplace that are living for the kingdom of God. Christ that are moving forward for the sake of the kingdom of Christ, that are called to do what they're doing. You guys, says the Word of God. You're the heroes of the church. You're the saints. You're the priests. You're the temple. So don't segregate out your spiritual life as if it's something that you do on Sundays or something you just do in your quiet time. No, understand this, that all of life is spiritual. Your whole life belongs to the Lord. So whatever you are doing, wherever you are, pursue the Lord. Move in a God honoring direction, in holiness, in obedience, in mission. You know, again, thinking about that in terms of the career, I think Blake mentioned Peter Schulte last week. You know, Peter Schulte just graduated with his PhD uh, in aerospace engineering. I mean, that's a smart guy. But you know why Peter did that? It's it's not that he he did that because because he hates engineering. And he's like, well, but this is something that maybe I was supposed to do. No, he, he loves engineering. It's a passion of his, but it's also a useful passion. He has a desire to engage people with the gospel that it's difficult to engage with the gospel, to go to places where it's difficult for Christians to go, to engage people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to go to places where people like me can't go. There's a lot of places in the world where you know what they, you know, they really don't want to come there, who has no use to them, is a Christian pastor but you know who everyone needs? An aerospace engineer. Everybody wants that guy. And so again, it's not that it's not like Peter is just doing, he's not just bearing engineering. No, be, engineering brings him joys, has, certainly has a passion about it, it's cer- certainly something that he loves, but it's a useful pers- uh, passion, and it's, and it's a direction that he is pursuing with gospel intentionality. One of our elders uh, at Valleydale, the church I pastored in Birmingham, Alabama. He was a doctor, loved medicine, he he loved science, he loved to care for people, Uh, and he was a great doctor. And because he just had a great general, local practice, general care physician, and he was at the same place for for 30 plus years. He'd been there for 30 plus years. And you know what this guy was? He was just a doctor, but you know what he was? He was basically the pastor of this whole community. People trusted him. They loved him. They needed him, right? If you've been sick, what do you you need a doctor. You don't think that was a strategic vocation for him to have that he used for the advance of the kingdom that he was pursuing with gospel intentionality. What direction are you moving in in your life? Is there any sort of gospel thrust behind? It? Is there any sort of gospel direction behind it. You know, there's a great old movie called Chariots of Fire, and it, it tells the story of a fast missionary. It's a guy named Eric Little, and he won the 400-meter uh, race in or the 400-yard, I think they still did yards back then, 400-yard race in the 1924 uh, Olympics. And it's a fascinating story. And then actually after he won the Olympics, he went to the mission field. He went to go be a missionary in China. He eventually was killed in World War II by the Japanese but um, there's one scene in the movie, there's a lot of quotable lines in the movie, there's one scene in the movie where he's talking to his sister, and he, he you know, he came from a very god honoring, God-loving, God-fearing family, and he's telling his sister, you know, I am going to go and, and be a missionary, but before I go, I've got a lot of running to do. And she was disappointed because she thinks, you know, mission work, how noble, how wonderful, and running, you know, isn't that just something that boys do for fun? And he, and he says this kind of famous quote um, that you probably heard before. Let's go to the next slide. He says, I believe that God may be for a purpose, for China, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. But then he goes on to say, to give up running, to give up this gift, would be to hold a gift that God has given me in contempt. It's not just fun. No, to win is to honor God. Now, lest you start to think, well, that's why I don't come to church on Sunday, because when I'm skipping church for work or skipping church for sports or whatever, I feel the pleasure of God. Now, that's, that's not the point. In fact, the point of the movie, the, the climax of the movie is Eric Little, who is favored to win the 100-meter, doesn't run because it, the event falls on a Sunday, which was the Lord's Day. But don't miss my point here. This is not primarily about sports or work or anything. Here's what what it's about. Every gift that you... If you're a Christian, hear this. Your life is the Lord's. Every gift that you have, whether it's running, whether it's business, whether it's teaching, whatever it is, every gift that you have is the Lord's. They are given to you by God for God, for His glory. Now, a few of us... Few of us here, myself, Blake, a few others, our primary calling is going to be to use the gifts that God has given us to serve the church, right? That's what God says. He, I, the, the Bible says that He gave some, Jesus gave some, not the majority, a few, a couple of us, uh, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. But most of the saints, most of you guys, Your primary calling is going to be in the marketplace, is going to be in the home, is going to be in your community to advance the cause of Christ, to to win, to do great things out there, right? To win the race, whatever race you're running, to do it well, to do it with excellence and so honor God through that thing. And as you do that, hear this as you do that, if there's any sort of gospel intentionality about your life, you will have enormous opportunities to advance the gospel. You will have enormous opportunities for gospel ministry. You might say, well, how do I do that? How do I run in the world and not become a part of the world, right? How do I, how do I show all this focus in the world and not become a part of the world? And I think, well, a good example is Eric Little, And here's the answer. The answer is obedience. The answer is holiness. This is Paul's prayer, that you would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, when the day of Christ comes, that you would be in the world, that you would be great in the world, but that you would not be like the world, pure and blameless for the day of Christ, pure and blameless on the day of Christ. You know what that means? Pure and blameless on the day of Christ. You know, there's, there's times when Paige will leave the house at night. She'll go to a dinner or something. She'll go out with her friends. And when she gets home, I am pure and blameless if I have the kids in bed and bathed and the house clean. If the kids are still up, unbathed, the kitchen's a mess, it is a day of reckoning uh, on the day of Paige, Right? So what does this mean, pure and blameless on the day of Christ? It means when Christ returns and He considers your life, will will He be pleased with your life? Will He be pleased with the direction of your life? Will He be pleased with the choices you're making? This is what Paul is praying on the day of Christ. Will you be filled with righteousness? Will you be filled with fruit? Will your life be filled with fruit? Is there any sort of gospel direction? Is there any sort of gospel intentionality in your life? Are you thinking as God thinks? Are you doing as God would do? Now, part of being pure and blameless on the day of Christ is serving the church, right? I'm I'm primarily called, I'm one of those primarily called to use my gifts to serve the church, but all of us are called to serve the church. The church is referred to as the bride of Christ, right? I was out last week. If I would have gotten back and if I would have heard that that all of you guys ignored Paige and were mean to Paige and didn't consider Paige, I would be disappointed with you. That's my bride. That's who I care about. That's who I love. How does Christ find you caring for His bride, caring for His church, loving and striving with His church, but it goes so much further than just your service in the church. How are you living your whole life? What direction are you moving? How are you using your gifts? And do you feel God's pleasure in it? So if you want to know God's will for your life, don't so much worry about the big thing, right? It's a big thing. What's God? What are you going to do with me? God, what are you going to do with me? Don't, don't, don't worry about that. Worry about the direction. Obey. Be intentional. Use your gifts in a way that pleases the Lord. And look, I promise you this. I promise if you will stay focused on a God-centered direction after time, you will all do something big that will produce something so big, something beyond your imagination right now, which actually brings me to the second point. In terms of understanding God's will, we're we're still in this knowing God's will section, knowing and obeying the will of God. But just in thinking about that, the second thing that I really want everyone here to understand, especially those of you who are, you know, maybe under 30, is understanding compounding investment, understanding compounding investment. Now, again, those of you who are a little older, you, you know this. But for those of us who are a little younger, let's, let's think about this for a while, the idea of compounding investment. Now, we always talk about this in financial terms, right? If you're a young person or right out of college, you know, hey, you need to start this sort of savings account, and you start putting money away, and they do the little math, and they show you how, you know, by the time you're 70, it's this number, so by the time you're 75, it's like triple that, and just like look at how compounding interest works. And that's true. So if you're not investing, if you're not using your money wisely, you should be doing that. But here's the principle I want you to understand today. Everything works this way, not just money. Everything compounds, everything compounds. This goes, this goes uh, along with, with everything in life. You know, we live in such an instantaneous world where, man, if you just make the right decision, if you just do the right thing, everything can happen for you really quick. You know, when I was in college, I remember everybody was kind of infatuated with this guy, Sean Parker. He'd come up with Napster, and nothing was cooler in like 2000 when you first got T1 internet speed than Napster. And uh, man, it's like, man, if I could just have the idea like Sean Parker, you know, I could make a billion dollars. And you know, if you are Sean Parker, if, if something like that happens for you, good for you, but most of us, that are not Sean Parker. And even if you are Sean Parker, you, you still need to learn this, compounding investment. Everything compounds. Good behavior compounds, right? So if you're, if you're good at saving money, if you start saving money, it will compound, but all good behavior compounds. If you work at being kind, and you do that over and over and over again, that will be a compounding investment. You will grow in kindness. If you humble yourself, you will grow in humility. If you... Um, Pursue others and and, and pursue hospitality. That will be a compounding investment in your life. Good behavior compounds, but you know what else compounds? Bad behavior compounds. Pride grows. Bitterness grows. Lust grows. Selfishness grows. Fear grows. Anger grows. Everything compounds. And the bad things in your life, unless they're corrected, unless they're shaped, you'll just continue to grow in those things. The good things in your life, if if they are encouraged, if they are pushed along, you'll continue to grow in those things. And I say all this to say, you want to be great at something? You want to do something grand with your life? You want want God's will to be carried in your life? Look, here's the, the principle. It's just, look, remember, everything compounds. Keep your head down. Stay focused we live in this world where people get so antsy, where they lose faith. Their good behavior, if it doesn't reward them quick enough, it becomes bad behavior. You know, something good happens and they get careless or pride or something bad happens. And they get fearful or angry. Everything compounds. So again, what does this mean in terms of doing God's will? Here's what it means. Don't worry so much about the big thing. Worry about the right direction. Be consistent. And trust me, in time, you will do great things. And finally, if you want to know God's will for your life, you need to understand prayer and community, prayer and community. And I I put these two categories together, I put these two as kind of a categorical unit here. Prayer is an individual discipline, it's an individual dependence, it's an individual dependence on God. The wonderful thing about prayer is its impracticality. It's so impractical. You're stopping all work and doing nothing and sitting there. And focusing on God, how's that going to accomplish anything? And here's the deal, it accomplishes everything. Because nothing like prayer takes the focus away from you and and gives you a sense of dependence on the Almighty One. Prayer is a personal act of dependence. You are taking time to truly bow and humble yourself before God and acknowledge His authority and acknowledge your need for Him. In prayer, you're actually appealing to God. You're actually looking for His direction. You're you're actually humbling yourself before the one who controls everything. And here's the deal. When you pray, make your prayers more about God than about yourself. Typically, our prayers are, God, do do this, do this, do this, do this, do this for me. Rather, if you really want clarity in your prayer life, pray this way, God, who are you? God, show me who you are. Show me what you're doing. Show me how you're working. Show me how you're moving. Show me what you love. If you begin praying like that, you'll have so much more clarity in your life in terms of discerning God's will. And then the second thing, prayer in community. If you really want to Pursue God's will, we do this together. Jesus was not isolated. His church has never been isolated. Christianity is not an isolated kind of thing. We pursue the Lord, we pursue His will for us as a collective. This is why church membership is so important to us. This is why being in a community group is so important for us. There is a corporate dependence in Christianity. If prayer is individual dependence on God, Our community, our desire for vulnerability and community is a corporate dependence. It's realizing that we need one another to help us see our blind spots. We need one another to help us understand the nature of God. We need one another to help help us really understand the nature of ourselves. So if you want to know God's will, think direction, think compounding investment, think prayer and community, and... I believe you'll be filled with knowledge and discernment so that you may prove what is excellence. You may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. There's obviously a lot more to be said there, but we've got to keep moving. Paul's second desire then, his first desire was that the Philippians would know and obey the will of God. His second desire though is for the advance of the gospel. And and this comes out so clearly in this passage. And if you're in our community groups this week, we're actually going to be thinking more about this section of the text. But look at verse 12 with me. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me... So Paul, remember, he's in Rome, he's in prison. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest of my imprisonment that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word Without fear. I love this section of text. This so flies in the face of so much of the modern movement language that you see today. You know, two weeks ago, the last time I preached, I talked about how to pursue justice. And I said that a God centered pursuit of justice is less concerned with self vindication and more concerned with just loving what God loves and hating what God hates. So, think about what Paul is saying here and compare it to kind of the current moment of even evangelism or justice pursuit. You know, we we live in a moment where if you're persecuted at all for the cause of Christ, for evangelism, you you either, one, wear it as a badge of honor, a badge of pride, or two, uh, in this moment, totally shrink up in fear. You know, I talked to Christians who said, well, you know, I've had a bad experience sharing my faith, or someone may have been cruel to them, or they felt a little ostracized for what they believed, and their response to that was total fear. They tucked any sort of evidence of their Christianity away as far as possible so that it would never come up again, living in fear. There's other people I know that love to share their faith, but they don't really love people. That's not what we're called to, Okay. They can go out and be total jerks, and when people are jerks to them, they almost wear it as a badge of pride. Well, you know, blessed are those who are persecuted. That's not what we see in Paul. How different is that from from Paul's response here? We also live in a world that, as I kind of referred to a few weeks ago, that's so infatuated with victim status. Now, again, I'm not saying that there aren't real victims with with real stories that need to be told, but, but... In this kind of moment that we're in, I I want to just give you a warning. Don't take advantage of your victimhood and begin using it for your own good. Really try to pursue justice and pursue what is good. Again, is it self-vindication or is it a God-centered pursuit of justice? You know, what Paul doesn't say here, listen to Paul's language. He doesn't say, oh, the Romans they are so corrupt. They are so unjust. They have ruined my ministry. He also doesn't say, you know, I was pursuing Jesus. I was being bold for Jesus, and the church wasn't around to take care of me. All those people out there. No, he's saying basically the opposite of this. Paul's saying, look, I got arrested. Of course it's unjust. Of course it stinks. But Jesus is still in control. And you know what? What God is doing is something that is so great and something that is so unexpected. With Paul saying, look, I got arrested, I'm in jail, and guess what? The whole imperial guard is now hearing and even believing the gospel. You know, before I was arrested, as if Paul's saying, I probably wouldn't have preached to the imperial guard for fear of being arrested. But now that I am arrested, I might as well preach to them. I've already, the worst things already happened, and so I'm going to take advantage of this. And these these influential people are now in a way that they never would have before hearing the gospel. And, you know, he goes on to say, and this is also encouraging other people. They're saying that I'm okay, you know. People saying, well, I can't preach because what if I get arrested? Paul's saying, well, the worst things happen to me, and I'm okay. Now they're saying, well, maybe it's not so bad if I get arrested. So they're going out and preaching in boldness. He says, some are doing that with good intent, right? They have good intentions. Their heart is for the gospel. He said, some are doing it out of envy. And what he means by that, what does that, what does that really mean? It means there's, there's some people out there, you know, Paul was, he was the man, right? He was the chief preacher. I mean, everybody loved and admired Paul. What Paul's saying is, <coughs> like the second or third, you know, best preacher, they're thinking, okay, now Paul's in jail. Maybe it's my turn. Maybe it's my time to shine. Maybe I can be known as the leader of the church now. Paul's saying some of these people are just out for their own name, but he doesn't even get upset about that. He just says, Jesus is being preached, and for that, I rejoice. So who today is talking like this? Where is this tone in the justice movements of today? Where is this tone in evangelism and church growth today? Paul has an enormous desire for the advance of the gospel. Here's what it is, guys. I want you to hear this. Paul has a greater desire that the story of Jesus would go forward than he does that the story of Paul would go forward. He's more concerned with the story of Jesus than he is with the story of Paul. Whose story are you most passionate about? Does, does your desire for the advance of the gospel echo this at all? You know, I've said before that what it means to become a Christian is to relinquish your role as the main character of the story and to become a supporting cast member in the story of Jesus. What it means to become a Christian is to relinquish your role as the main character of your own autobiography. And become a supporting cast member in the story of Jesus. You know, probably about 10 years ago now, uh, Francis Chan gave this sermon, and he he showed this clip from Rocky II, and if you remember Rocky II, there's kind of the famous Rocky training scene, and it's like the training scene in Rocky 1, but now, you know, Rocky has gone the distance with Apollo, and everybody in Philadelphia is excited, and they start following around, and then, you know, the final part of the training montage, he runs up to the steps of the Philadelphia library, and, you know, the the scene, he raises his hand, there's all these kids around him, and this is, I actually, like, screenshotted this from YouTube, so not the most quality imagery here, but Francis Chan, in the, in the uh, sermon, he said, I want you to look at this girl right here, this little girl in the green jacket. You know, what if she started saying, hey, have you seen Rocky 2? That movie's all about me. Have you seen me in Rocky 2? You know, it's all about me. There I am. There I am in the green jacket. You would say, no, you're just a little girl in a green jacket and your only role in the movie is to cheer Rocky along. And, and, and this is basically the same point that Paul has found here. He, he's saying, look, I have found a true champion. I have found Jesus, the one who the story is all about. And if I just get one little chance to cheer him along and be a part of his story, that's what I want to be. I have relinquished my role as the lead in the story because I found a supporting cast role in the greatest story of all. And I want you to hear this, guys. Paul's not a nobody. I mean, Paul was on the fast track to be the chief priest in Israel. That's the best role, right? Right? He was on the tr- fast track to be the managing partner of the company. He was on the fast track to be the chief surgeon in the hospital. He was the, on the fast track to be the president of the college, to be the leader in the political world. And he says, I found Jesus. And I consider all of this loss compared to knowing him. And so here I am in jail. Other people are preaching out of envy. But who cares? The story of Jesus is going forward. And unless you think what I'm saying here is, don't worry about justice. Don't worry about pursuing justice. Just accept your position and point to Jesus. That's not what I am saying. What I am saying to you is the real secret to fighting for justice. You know what Paul eventually did? You know what Paul eventually did? Paul and his legacy and his work and what he's doing here and how God used... You know what Paul? What God eventually used Paul to do? What these early Christians who were nobodies, you know what they eventually did? They eventually overthrew the whole Roman government. The whole thing collapsed because of them. And it wasn't because they were propping themselves up and vindicating themselves. No, it's as if Paul was saying, look, I can't overthrow injustice in the world. I can't overthrow evil in the world, but I know the one who can. I know the one who has power not to just change the system, but to change the heart. I know the one who has power over everything. And as long as Jesus is going forward, justice is going forward. As long as Jesus is going forward, salvation is going forward. So wherever He has me, in jail or wherever else, I am just going to focus on pushing Him and His story and His name and His glory forward, and, and all will work out. So we've talked about Paul's desire that the church would know and obey the will of God. We've talked about his intense desire here for the advance of the gospel. And the last thing, we've got to talk about Paul's secret. <laughs> how did he do this, right? How did he live this way? How did, how, did he, how did he stay so focused on knowing and obeying the will of God? How did he stay so focused on this great cause, this, this great thing that would truly change the whole world, the advance of the gospel. And here's Paul's secret. It's in verse 20. It's a very famous verse. And it's just this, for me to live is Christ. That's where Paul had gotten. For me, for me, Paul says, to live is Christ. Vindication, purpose, health, importance, love. For me to live, it's Christ. That's where it is. You know, there's this movie, the kind of a silly 1990s movie with Jim Carrey called Liar, Liar. And the kind of the premise of the movie, this little boy, like Jim Carrey's son in the movie, makes a birthday wish that his dad for a whole day couldn't lie. And so Jim Carrey lied all the time. And, but this one day he couldn't tell a lie. And it's funny, you know, it's Jim Carrey. But the point is, don't get lost in the analogy here. The, the point is, is I, I would love to be able to do that, right? Just say, let's just have a moment. I don't even need a day. Let's just take, for the next five minutes, you just couldn't lie. You, You had to actually say what was true of your heart. And I would love to hear us. I would love for you to hear yourself answer this correctly, answer this rightly. For me to live is, for me to live is, what is that for you? For me to live, what's really going to make you happy? What's really going to make you whole? For me to live is success in my career, would somebody say. For me to live is to, to make money and be important so people would look up to me. For me to live is to have great children that are successful and healthy. For me to live is to have someone tell my story someday. For me to live is to have a great retirement. For me to live is to have a beautiful wife. Or for me to live is to have a great husband. I would love if we would just, we, we couldn't help it. We, we know that we're supposed to say something like, Jesus is for me to live, like Paul says. But we, we had the liar, liar thing. We just actually said what's really on our heart. For me to live is what I really desire is this. It would be so good for us to hear ourselves say it, and, and the reason that we struggle to know and obey the will of God, the reason that we struggle to care about the advance of the gospel is because we haven't found this secret that Paul had found. For me to live is Christ. And this is why Paul's able to snort at death, to die his gain. It doesn't matter. <laughs> what are they going to do to him? Basically, Paul's saying, I already have everything in Jesus? Do you have everything in Jesus? Do you believe that? For me to live as Christ, Paul says. And he can say that. Paul can say, I want my whole life to be for Jesus because you see, Jesus had said to Paul, I've given my whole life to you. Paul who ran from Jesus, who disdained the name of Jesus, who was pursuing a self-centered living like no one else in the land. Despite all of that, Jesus pursued him. Despite all of that, Jesus gave his whole life for Paul. Jesus was willing to be separated from God, crushed by his Father, to pursue Paul because he loved Paul. And I want you to hear this He says the same thing to you. He's saying the same thing to you right now. Jesus has given his life for you, so that you can give your life to him. And if you find this, here's the deal, guys. We all want to be important. We all want to be loved. The fact that you say, "For me to live is to be loved. For me to live is to be important," you know what? Those are those are natural inclinations of the heart. You should want those things. Here's the deal, though. In all the Places on earth, all the the, the voices on earth that will tell you, hey, love, importance, it's all found with me. It's all a lie. It's all an illusion. No, there's only one place that it's found. It's found in the one who's conquered death, it's found in the one who created life, it's found in Jesus alone. And that's what Paul had found. He's already found importance. He already found love. He already found longevity. That's why he said all these other little things, being chief priest, all these other little things that I was pursuing, it's nothing to me now. I found everything for me to live as Christ, for me to live as Christ. Have you found this secret? Have you found this secret? Have you believed that Jesus said, I'm willing to give everything for you so that you can give everything for me, so you can find your identity in me? And, you know, as we close today, a great help for us, for this truth to sink into our hearts, for us to actually believe that Jesus has done these things for us, God has given us this meal. And so here in a few moments, uh, I'm going to ask that our deacons would come forward, and and they're going to pass out the elements of the Lord's table. And the elements are a a piece of bread and a a cup of wine, a small cup of non-alcoholic wine. But it's a a reminder to us, it's it's a sign for us of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for us. And as we take the bread and we break it, one of the reasons that we don't give you the little chiclet nasty bread here, but give you good flattened bread here is we we want you to, to have the experience of actually breaking it, to remember that... The body of Christ our Lord, the body of the one who created all things, who had everything, who was rich in glory, made himself so poor that he would be broken on behalf of your sin and my sin. One of the reasons that we, we do use the non-alcoholic wine as opposed to the old Welch's grape juice is we I want you to taste the bitterness of the wine, to remind you that this is this comes with a cost a great cost. The blood of Jesus was actually spilled out. Jesus gave everything for you so that you could be known and loved by an almighty God, so you could be brought in, so you could live with the kind of poise and peace that is so evident in Paul. This guy is not antsy. Look at this man, he is in prison. His name is being ruined out in the land. And he's writing these Philippians and saying, I rejoice. Jesus is going forward. Jesus is going forward. Do you have that kind of poise? Do you have that kind of strength? You can in Christ to live as Christ. It's all been given to you in him. And so let's look to Him as we take this meal. And I just want to say, this is a meal for those of you who have trusted in Jesus, who are looking to Jesus, and who have let that be known in baptism. And if that's not you today, if if you're kind of exploring the faith, like Paul was saying earlier, you know, you you hadn't been baptized. You haven't trusted in the Lord. You haven't let that be known. We're not trying to rush that. We don't want to hurry that. I don't want to push you to do something you're uncomfortable with. In fact, the Bible says don't this. Don't take this meal if you're, if you're not confidently following Jesus. But I would invite you, just in a few minutes as we're singing, I'll be standing in the back by the sound booth. I would invite you just, I'd love the opportunity to pray with you, to answer any questions you have. We also have a text to pastor line that's available on the little card that you got on the way in. You can text to me and I would love just to answer questions or pray with you, whatever whatever need you may have. But I'm going to pray for us now. And uh, if you're in Christ, I invite you to take these elements. If you're not, just pass them along. No one's going to look at you funny. We do have a gluten-free option if you need that. If you'll just tell the deacon uh, you would like that uh, element, we can help you out with that. Then we'll sing again. If you need to come pray with me, I'd love that. And then we'll we'll have just a, we'll just continue in our time of response. Let me pray for us, Father. I, I love you. I thank you for this word of truth that we've been thinking about today. For this. It's the incredible encouragement of a man that, who'd found this secret, the secret of living in Christ, the secret of knowing Jesus, the secret of, of finding life in Him. I pray that we would too. I pray that we would look to Him today, that we would know and love His will and obey Your Word and Your truth, Lord, that we would we would love Your cause. We would seek that the story of Jesus would go forward in our lives as supporting cast members. And we pray that, Lord, you do this and even advance this now as we take this meal. pray this in Jesus' name.